if you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. We welcome back Jen Hamilton today. Jen's a show jumping coach extraordinaire. And if you haven't already listened to any of Jen's chats, go back and listen to her first one and just progress all the way through. We've been talking about riders and horses at the moment. We're going to talk a little bit more in detail, a bit more depth today about more of the technicalities of the sport. Now, are you there, Jen? Welcome back. Why, thank you for having me. <laughs> Jen, love talking to you and love getting into the depth of knowledge that you have, you know, the technical bit. So I think today, instead of talking about how to ride jump, which is important, okay, and, and we've sort of talked about that, because we've got your knowledge here, I'd like to talk about the differences between, you know, a little bit more technical and I don't know, you know, combinations and related fences. You you see them in, in a um, jumping course and some people ride them and they just ride them consistently well. They're organised, the horse is going well, and other times, you know, you see it particularly at the lower levels, people come in and they just think they just ride it like a, another fence. So are you happy? Can we talk about um, combinations and related fences and how to ride them and a little bit more of the technical, um, what the differences are even between a combination and related fence. Well, sure. But I think the first thing that has to be discussed are the types of jumps. Mm -hmm. And you you mentioned, um, I think, upright and a spread. I actually call them something different. So we'll try and have to get our terminology. Uh, like your upright, I would call a vertical. So... We would have a vertical, and the vertical's on one plane. Then we would have what I would call oxers, which are two element jumps. And you have two types of oxers. You have an ascending oxer and the square oxer. And then our first, fourth type of jump would be a water jump, which we're not going to discuss today. Mm -hmm. But the whole thing about being able to jump different types of jumps is understanding the geometry of the whole thing. So now people should really get a piece of paper out. They should listen now, but when they come back and listen again, get a piece of paper out and actually draw a vertical. So a vertical has one plane, and what we have to discuss is where the highest point of the arc on a, a vertical is, the horse's arc. And on a vertical, the highest point of the arc is directly over the top of the vertical. That's, now, because our horses jump so beautifully, the distance that you take off on a vertical is equal to the distance you land away. And this is important. Now, on the ascending oxer, where the, first, the front element is lower than the um, second one, Again, the highest point of the arc is directly over the highest element. And so you would draw the arc. When you draw the arc, you see that on an ascending oxer, you go deeper to the base than you do on a vertical, and you land out farther. So on an ascending oxer, you go deep. 
land out farther than on a vertical. Now, on a square oxer, in a square oxer where both elements are the same height, the highest point of the arc is directly in the center between the two elements. So in this case, again, if you draw the arc, you go deep and you land shallow. So you would go deep, but you would land shallower than you would on an ascending oxer or on a vertical. Now, if you're thinking about triple bars, triple bars go into the ascending oxer family. So this is the geometry of the whole thing. So if people, if they have their piece of paper out and they can draw a line of a vertical to an, an ascending oxer. Vertical to an ascending oxer is the easiest line to jump. Oh, I should actually back up a little bit. You know, some people have a real phobia against oxers. Personally, I don't understand why. Because you don't actually have to be as accurate on an ascending oxer as you do on a vertical, which is why ascending oxers are used in lower level courses. Now, going back, if we have a line of jumps, and we'll have a vertical to an oxer, and we'll have it at 60 feet, which would be four strides, 18 point something meters. And if I draw the arcs, I can see where the horses are taking off, landing from the vertical. Then they have to put in four strides, and then they have to take off at the oxer. Okay? And so we can, between those two points, you can think of that as usable distance. Just going back, just within the 60 feet, we've got four non-jumping strides, but we allow for half a stride landing and half a stride takeoff. So, yep. you know, I'm thinking 12-foot 12, exactly. 12 strides. Okay, yep. Yep, yep, exactly. So now, directly under that, drawing a distance, draw a vertical directly under the other vertical and a vertical directly under the first element of the ascending oxer. And again, draw the arc. So the horse lands at the same spot, but now it's going to stand off farther on the second jump in the line, the vertical. Okay? So you're standing off on the vertical more than you did on the oxer. Now, just draw a line, connect those, the landing and the takeoff point. If you can compare it to the one above, you can see that in the vertical to a vertical, there is less usable distance to put the four strides in. So that shows that a vertical to a vertical rides tighter than a vertical to an oxer. So let's draw another one. So let's have an ascending oxer, again, drawn exactly under the first element, and we'll have it to a vertical. Again, exactly the same as the one above. So we're going deep on the ascending oxer, but we're landing out farther than we did on the vertical. Same takeoff point on the other vertical. Draw your line between the landing point and the takeoff point. Compare it to the one above, less usable distance. So an ascending oxer to a vertical 
rides tighter than a vertical to vertical or a vertical to an oxer. It's all about the geometry. That makes sense. And I would recommend if someone's driving along in the car here, just flag this, go back and listen to it again and listen to what Jen's saying and draw it out on a page and you'll really see, once you've drawn this out, you'll really see what she's talking about here. I think it's, you know, just take the time. Get a pen and paper out or, you know, whatever you're yep. using and do it again. Yeah. You might have some fancy software, but I'm not that good that I can. Draw, no, no, no. Draw, no. Just draw it as well. on a piece of paper. Yeah, I can do it a lot better draw it on, on a piece, piece of paper. paper. Yeah, or even a board, you know, like if, yeah. Yeah. And you could keep going on this if you did square oxer to square oxer. Well, you would land shallow on the square oxer. You have to go deep on the second oxer and use your usable distance, it rides forward. You're using, you've got more space. So if you look at it, ascending oxer to vertical rides the tightest, then vertical to vertical, vertical to ascending oxer rides fabulously. It's the, the nicest ride and uh, square oxer to square oxer rides forward. That must be remembered, and it must be practiced. Yes. If, um, you know, if this is an exercise that you're not sure of, haven't done, make sure you do practice it. Have it set up, have it practiced, and not just in the one spot, but, you know, if you've got an arena, if you're doing something, set it up in a few different spots and change things around a bit because the point practicing just the one thing, you get to a competition and, and things are different. Practice it in as many different ways that you can. The other thing is all riders and horses actually have a preference in the type of takeoff points they personally like. The thing is, you can't always go on your preference. And so you'll see people, they'll get too deep to the verticals, and then they stand off so far off on the oxer that the arc, there's no way it's taking you over the back pole. And so, again, this has to be practiced, and the best way to practice finding distances to these fences is on your verticals, the ground line should be pulled out to encourage the horse and the rider to learn to give a longer takeoff point, giving more gap from their takeoff point to the jump. On officers, because we want them to go deeper, the ground line should be directly under the first element. Unless you're having a few problems, then you can move the ground line out a little bit. But I think, you know, at horse shows, they're not using ground lines. That's the big thing. Well, training is not competition time. And people should train themselves and horses with ground lines. And as they get better, well, then you can take them away. But practice with ground lines. That's my big advice. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot-off-the-press notification. That is, that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available, and the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry, if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now 
and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on the 101 careers in the horse industry button to receive your free career book. Imagine, maybe one day you could be a guest on Horse Chats. Even that tip itself is certainly worth listening to this podcast, but Jen just keeps doing again and again and again. So I'm making lots of notes and um, hopefully the listeners are taking lots of notes here because this is really important stuff. If you want to take your show jumping serious, you know, if you're looking at competing, if you're already out there competing and you want to get your results better, listen to this because it's really important. Yeah. Now, you wanted to talk about as the jumps get bigger, how things start to change. Yes, yes, because, you know, people do well, you know. Yeah, they might do well at one level and all of a sudden they, it's just a bit too much. So, yeah, if we can talk about that. Yeah, the, the thing is um, you hear people talking about impulsion. Well, when you're jumping less than 90 centimetres or a metre, you don't need any impulsion. Just the forward momentum start will take you forward. But once the jumps start getting higher, the, the other important thing is the jumps get wider. And this requires, the, the width of the jump requires the horse not only get up, but out. And it will require impulsion. And when I talk to people about impulsion, I ask them what they think the difference is and they give me some lovely stuff, which is all probably true. But I like to think of um, comparing speed and impulsion. Speed is horizontal movement. Think of a racehorse. So speed is horizontal. Impulsion is vertical. It's upward. So if you have too much speed, you can't jump high. You need this impulsion. And how do you get impulsion? You get impulsion by asking the horse to create speed from the leg, but then the hand contains that energy. And so what you get is a ball of energy under you. Now, how much impulsion or ball of energy do you need? Well, that's determined by the actual horse and the height you're jumping. And again, Practice tells you how much you need. So it's a, it's a feeling and creating strides. If you have too much speed going into, let's say, a last line in a jump off, and you see this quite often, um, the last line will be a, an ascending oxer or a triple bar, we'll say, to a vertical. And the person goes, I'm, I'm going to win this, and I've got the speed happening. And they gallop into that triple bar, and they take the vertical out at chest level because there was too much speed. And the rider forgot that ascending oxer, triple bar to a vertical, rides tight. And so people have to know how much impulsion or pace, and I don't like using the word speed that much, how much impulsion and pace they can have 
to jump the different lines. And it, how do you learn that? You practice. You practice and you learn the feel. What do you, as a rider, have to create? What is the feeling? The feeling of impulsion, of speed, connection, straightness. What do you have to create in the horse so you can go jump those jumps? It's all about knowing and creating. Okay, well, you just, you know, you lose me. We start off talking about one thing, but you've just got so much knowledge, you know, and you talked about riding the last fence, you know, and you see it again and again. Someone's got to clear around and just at the last fence, things are just too much pressure and they lose it. If you're riding, because we talked about riding different fences and we talked about verticals and oxes, if you're riding in a big open area, you know, nice big show jumping arena and you've got a jump in the middle of the jump and then the course builder somehow you've got the same jump, exactly the same jump that the horse has jumped, jumps well, the rider's going well, and it's off a corner. How can that change things? Okay, well, again, it's all about this package of energy that the rider has to create. And what you have to remember is that turns always take away power in the horse, the impulsion. The closer the turn is to the jump, the more power you're losing. So this has to be remembered in a jump off because verticals don't need as much power to jump. It's easier to jump a vertical off a tight turn than it is an oxer. I mean, that's just a fact of life. Um, and people have to know how much power horses lose in turns. Because we in North America, we have, whether it's good or bad, we ride in much smaller areas than you actually do in Australia and New Zealand. Um, we're used to riding indoors a lot. And so we become very aware of the turns and how important they are, which I think is good for us. But then, on the converse thing, once we get out into big fields, we don't know what to do with it. We get lost a bit. And you have the opposite thing. You're used to the big fields, but then you get put in the smaller areas. Holy God, they're all jumps are coming up so quickly. So, so really, you need to do both. Practice both of them. I think what happens outdoors, which what I've seen in Australia, is the big areas which you're so lucky to have um it does kind of promote complacency and riders just getting a little bit of sleep at times and then not being able to pull things together and that kind of leads to when you have what what is a, a problem for us is the long run to a lonely jump that we've been doing all this quite technical work you know it's five strides to a bending four to blah 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 and then our next line is like 20 strides to an individual fence and that is actually one of the most difficult jumps for north americans to jump and it's because it gives you time to fall asleep it encourages people to panic and so I always tell people the strategy should be don't try and find the distance too soon. Just keep the canter, keep the straightness, something's coming up. 
and not to panic. And if it's an ascending oxer or even a square oxer, it's easier to jump than if it would be a vertical, particularly if it was a vertical uh, made of planks. Planks are hard verticals to jump because they're so flat. Then we very rarely jump on grass. It's almost always sand rings. So grass, my experience in um, Australia, New Zealand, again, you have a lot of grass, and for some reason people don't put studs in. I don't know why they don't put studs in the horse's shoes, or some people don't. They told, Someone told me once the horse has to earn their studs, and I thought, you mean after they've slipped and scared themselves to death, you'll give them studs. So, yeah. so is it the main concern, the difference between the grass and the sand, just that, you know, the grass can be a little bit slippery where the sand's better grip? Is there any yeah. other differences that we um, need to worry about? Well, we're so obsessed with our beautifully groomed rings now here. <laughs> um, I don't really know that much about grass tell you the truth because when we do jump on grass again it's beautifully manicured mm, mm. so it's um i think it's probably is, is the there most... any sinkiness in the sand do you find that and, and more that um you know i'm just thinking on, on grass the oh that is a see grass like grass has a tendency to either be sl slippery because it's wet or slippery because it's so hard where with sand rings, the main thing is people put too much sand on the um, rings, and that actually causes a lot of lameness. Okay, okay. So what about, you know, indoor and outdoor? Is the le horse's length of stride different between indoor and outdoor? You know, we've talked about a 12-foot stride, but in a tight little indoor, or, or does it adjust? Again, when you have... When it's outside, if we'll compare it to inside. Um, inside, it's a 12-foot stride, and then based on that, but then they'll have some, at the higher levels, they'll have some forward, you know, so they're actually having to work on a 13-foot stride, and sometimes they shorten it, so they have to work on an 11-foot stride. But it's based on a 12-foot stride. Once you get outdoors, they're actually starting to work on a 12- and 13-foot stride. Okay, so the outdoor stride then might become a little bit bigger than the indoor. Yeah, the gallop. You're yeah. outside, you're galloping. Yeah. Think of it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, did we talk about brick walls, Jen? Is there anything that we need to be particularly concerned about? You know, you talked about the verticals, the ascending and square oxes. We're sort of thinking round poles. We talked about planks. Brick walls, anything that we need to worry or ride a little bit different or... Um, anything the horse might worry about with a brick wall? I personally think horses jump walls really well, and, and that's why they're actually used in puissances. That's, it's always a wall that they jump so high. Um, I think it's more of a rider thing because the riders go, oh, I can't see over this, over the top of it. Well, <laughs> I have to tell you one story. I was schooling Clark Johnson, you know, from New Zealand, and I was obsessing this one day that it had to be, a, the oxer had to be square and is it even and everything. And Clark just looked at me and he went, you know something, Jen, the horse is taller than you. It can see the back pole. I thought, that's a good point. 
very good point, Clark. And it's the same. The horses can see. They're higher than we are. You know, so they can see things. And it's usually um, good. Um, I think, again, I would, practicing walls, you don't want to go too deep. So, again, on a wall, you're going to be standing off a little bit more. And, again, if you're practicing walls, I would put some brush in front of it to help give a ground line, give it a little bit more of a rampy look to it, and then kind of replace that and just put a pole and then just practice it. The advice you've given today has been a lot more um, a lot more technical, a lot more riding different types of jumps and different types of courses. And I, I love the way you keep saying, just practice, just practice, you know, just go back and here's yeah. a whole lot of extra exercises here to practice, you know, practice riding in this situation and that situation and, you know, count your strides and look at this and play around a little bit with your ground lines and just lots and lots of information, again, Jen, that you've given. So we're certainly looking forward to um, chatting again. We, we we need to talk about the water jump, but I think some of these areas that we've talked about, we can go into a lot more detail. I think even the combination and related fences, you know, we we talked about those and did some exercises in them, but, gee, there's a lot of exercises that um, we could talk about again the next time you come on, if you're um, happy to do so that. The most, in, the most important thing, Glennis, is they must buy my book, Stride Control. Absolutely, absolutely. And those details about <laughs> stride control are going to be on the bottom of Jen's page on Horse Chats. Just go to horsechats.com, search for Jen Hamilton. I think even if you search for stride control, you'll find that. So if people like to get it direct from you or contact you directly, Jen, what's the best way? Actually, I think the best way to do it is through Jen Morrison Hamilton, equestrian coach. I guess you can send messages that way. I'm not very good with the computer, but they tell me you can do that. Okay. And on Facebook, they can contact you as well. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. That's what I mean. Facebook. And it's Jen Marsden Hamilton, equestrian coach. Okay. And I'm fairly sure we'll have those details on your page as well. Have a direct link there through to yeah. through to um through to Facebook. So horsechats.com, as I said, you can search for the other or go straight to Facebook and search for Jen Marsden Hamilton Equestrian Coach. Brilliant. Well well, just before we finish, please people, if you have listened to this. Go back and learn about the geometry of the horse's jump, the arc, and that just drawing those pictures will explain so much. Mm, 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 definitely, definitely. And I, I think you could um, get a bit fancy here and, you know, like I've, I've drawn it on a page, but I think that you could um, get a bit fancy and get a bit more technical and get your ruler out and, and work it out a little bit more. I yeah. mean, I've done it because I've, I've sort of gone through and said, yep, this is what it is. And I can see the difference just doing it on a page. But I think if you want to get really technical, get your ruler out and measure it all. And um, Graph paper. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Jen, thank you very much, and we will talk to you again soon. Thank you very much. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate, and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government-accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352.
Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below 